and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss detection training, welfare, conservation biology, and everything in between. I'm Kayla Fratt, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for land managers, researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, I'm super excited to be talking to Dr. Joe Spoo, otherwise known as the Gun Dog Doc, all about foxtails. So if you haven't heard of Dr. Spoo yet, he is a veterinarian of small animal medicine with a special passion for sporting dogs and especially the gun dog breeds. He believes in a cradle-to-grave approach for managing the canine athlete over the course of its lifetime rather than just fo- focusing on the problem of the moment. He's, a board cer- he's board certified by the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehab and is one of only a handful of such specialists in private practice in the world and the only one whose primary focus is hunting dogs. So you can see already why we're so excited to talk to him. We're not hunting dogs, but have a lot of the same uh, the same breeds, the same uh, challenges coming up for us. Um, to continue his bio, in addition to practice, Dr. Spoo also has numerous research publications to his credit as he pushes to advance the field of veterinary medicine. In addition, he's an invited speaker to national and state veterinary meetings as an expert on the subject of canine rehab and sports medicine. And for more than a quarter century, Dr. Spoo has been treating hunting dogs with all manners of injuries and conditions. And over that time frame, he's chased his own dogs, including retrievers, setters, and spaniels, all over the Midwest in pursuit of birds and the very rare ribbon. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Spoo. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here as well. Yeah, so I think we'll just start with the most basic. What is a foxtail? Because we're not actually talking about the part of a wild canid. Sure, and I, I think probably right out of the gates is to to not get tunnel vision on just foxtails too. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, you know the problems that they cause um, are caused by any of the plants or seeds that can migrate. And so you know here where I'm at in South Dakota, foxtails is a big one. But honestly, probably the most common problem-causing plant that I see is Canada rye, um, mm. in, in, in hunting dogs especially, because it's it's um, commonly used in the seed planting mixes for CRP in, in food plots, and um, oh. it's an early growth cover. And so it's it's in a lot of the seed mixes when we turn you know um, lands back into prairies or to to habitat. And so Canada rye is a big one in this part of the country. Um, I was just out in Montana a couple of weeks ago and needle and thread is a, mm-hmm. a big one out there. And so it's, yeah. it's really any of the um, plants that have seeds that are barbed and can migrate once they get into the dogs. And so whether that's, you know, um, ingestion, inhalation, uh, or just in the coat and, and then migrating their way through the skin. So we, we, uh, kind of being a, you know, amateur botanist, I guess, is, is important when it comes to these, especially, you know, it's going to be different wherever you're at with your dogs. So understanding what plants can migrate, I think is the biggest uh, first step with these. Yeah, that makes sense. And you've already jumped to my second question, which was, are foxtails the (laughs) only plant we're worried about here? So the answer to that is obviously no. Um, Are there any parts of the country um for the u.s where we don't have any plants we need to worry about like this or is it really pretty much everywhere there's going to be something you're worried about i think yes i think something and so but you know by no stretch am i a plant expert and and you know kind of the whole reason you know um you're interested in it right we run dogs in wild places and this is something that happens and so we want to know more um and and that's kind of where my interest is as well is is you know having dealt with it in my own dogs yeah client dogs that um and so the the actual plant side of it i guess 
you know, I have my myopic view of the world and that's where it's, you know, foxtails in Canada or I, um, I think everywhere though, you're going to have something that has the potential mm-hmm. to cause these problems. And, and, and I've, I've had a dog, um, you know, that, that prickly pear cactuses that migrated mm-hmm. in, in up into her foot and things like that. And that's not oh. a barbed plant. So I think, yeah. you know, anything that these dogs can encounter can cause problems, um, if it gets on the inside of the body. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, I know I've definitely been to areas where it's a lot worse than others, um, but it never really seems like we're surveying in areas where we're completely out of the woods, so to speak, with, you know, whether it's foxtails or, yeah, other kind of plant-related injuries. And, you know, as I think we've, we said when I first reached out to you, and I've said before on the podcast, but, you know, the impetus for this was, um, you know, I was out doing surveys in uh, Central California, just north of Santa Barbara, and we had a dog get a foxtail up his nose and had to go into the ER and get it taken out. Um, so, you know, this is something that is now close to home for us. Right. And I don't think I had fully realized how serious inhalation in particular could be yeah. with foxtails. So maybe, or again, and we'll maybe just... Is there a better word? Just plant no, seeds, I think, yeah, yeah, seeds. I think you're fine saying foxtail as long as like we have that clarifying statement, right? Because yeah. I'll be honest, that's what I, I refer to it as foxtails all the time as well. Yeah. Because I think that's the most common um, in, in all the plants. You know, outside the needle and thread, I, I'd never seen that in person. Mm-hmm. Where it is seems like it's more of a solo strand of thread with that needle. But most of like even Canada rye has that same appearance as foxtails, where it has yeah. a head with a seed head with the you know the fibrous uh, attached to it so no and in, in in you know certain years it's it's worse too so you get that yeah. damp area that then you know the the water leaves and it seems like the foxtails are everywhere in those yeah. types of environments and, and there's years in south dakota where like literally the roads are just lined with foxtails and it just yeah you know, it just seems like a, a death trap is how i view them quite honestly yeah so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, it's been one of the reasons whenever people ask us why we don't use a couple key breeds in our line of work, one of the reasons that I'm now giving is coat type and kind of ability to maintain not just ticks, um, but also these plant seeds. Um, yeah. Cause I've got a long coated border collie and it's so much harder with him. You know, I'll be yeah, pulling absolutely. plants out days later. Um, that clearly so far haven't migrated. Um, but you know, it's always, it always is a possibility. I'm going to miss something versus I've got a smooth corded sure. border collie who interestingly, he seems to pick up more because his coat is coarser, Yeah, but they're way easier to get out. Right. right. And they're way and, easy to find. And yeah. it's interesting that, you know, at least in my experience. So, I mean, to your point, the soft coated breed. So, you know, my first experience was, um, my own setter years ago in, in inner chest and kind of worst case scenario. Ooh, so like yeah. the setters, the springers, you know, those soft coated breeds. Um, uh, but then on the, the breed that I, I haven't come up with a good explanation for, um, that we see it a lot is German short hairs. And so, interesting, um, yeah. And so I would say that's one of the short coated breeds, right. um, that we see pretty severe presentations of it. So why they're more prone, I, I have zero idea. That's uh, fascinating. But, yeah. They've got but, such a tight coat and mm-hmm. like they're and practically they, bald on the underside. Right. And we'll <laughs> That's crazy. Occasional Labrador, mm-hmm. but obviously like in my practice, Labradors are overrepresented and in mm-hmm. working dogs in general, Labradors are overrepresented and you know, it's a rare case in Labradors, but the, hmm. the soft coated breeds and, and then German short hairs for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, yeah, I've got all sorts of questions already about like, I wonder if like that really dense tight undercoat for labs or 
Who knows? Right. right. So I guess why don't we start out with then um, some amount of prevention. So I would assume that means knowing how to recognize these high risk areas or the plants that are around or seeding times. And that's just going to amount to some amount of research. But beyond that, what else are we looking at? Uh, honestly, I hate to say that that is, the, but it truly is. And that's, you know, there's, there's places that I no longer hunt um, for that very reason. Uh, they're back where I'm from in Northwest Iowa. They had a, a huge addition of a lot of um, state ground added and, and they planted it all in Canada rye. And I just, I don't hunt there anymore. Um, yeah. Same with foxtails. You know, it, it's when I was running a cocker, um, if we'd come upon a cock, uh, a, a patch of uh, foxtails, I'd just pick her up and carry her through it, you know, and now like with the setters, we'll, we'll go around them. And so avoidance I think is key. It's not, you're, you're not going to be able to avoid them 100% of the time. Um, you know, the, there's the different, you know, products that I've seen on the market, like the mm-hmm. bags on the head. Um, I, I have not used them. My worry, especially with working dogs is one scenting and, and being yeah. able to interfere with the scenting. And then two, I think probably more importantly is like, that's the way dogs dissipate heat. The, the, yeah. the most is through panting. And then we put a, you know, a, a, a bucket over their head. And I just, I think that that could really in, in working dogs lead to a lot of heat related problems. Um, and then, as you mentioned, I think the big thing is, 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 you know, grooming when you get back to the truck yeah. and, and the sooner you get to them, the better, right? Because if you think about these things migrating, you know, you can get them when they're out on the surface versus, you know, if, if, you know, as maybe you've experienced, you know, if you, you get back and you're running behind and you put the dog in the truck and, and then that evening you're like, Oh, I forgot to do that. Those things can really be tight down, like at the end of the hair shafts up against yeah. the skin where you can tell that they've already done some degree of migration towards, you know, they're, they're not to their penetrating through the skin, but they certainly, you know, do kind of move through the hair coat quicker than you'd think. And so, you know, grooming as quickly as possible, especially if you know that you've been in, um, an area that has these types of seeds, I think is, is probably the biggest thing too. Yeah. We definitely travel with like a full grooming kit and I've got this really nice double-sided flea comb. That's got a a wide tooth side and then a a thin, uh, like super tight flea flea comb on the other side. And that one works pretty well but yeah uh, so much of it just seems to be all right at the end of the day like we're checking paws we're checking toes ears um particularly i've noticed like anywhere where the harness or the collar is touching as well i seem to find a lot more that have gotten deeper there right are you ready to learn more about training and handling conservation detection dogs? I'm Heather, one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationist. Starting in January 2024, I'll be leading a live session of our online conservation dog handler course with the help of Kayla and Rachel. The course includes 18 sections of material covering topics like dog selection, alert training, sensitivity and specificity, odor dynamics, field safety, finding work, and more. Students in the live session will also have weekly Zoom meetings to discuss the learning and go over homework. All students gain lifetime access to the course material and our online community of learners through WhatsApp and Facebook. For those looking to earn CEUs, the course is approved by CPDT, IAABC, and KPA. We can't wait to join you on your journey. Sign up for the waitlist today, linked in the show notes. So I guess, why don't we kind of go there as far as like, how bad can foxtails be? Be. Um, you know, this isn't just 
um, like a scratch or, sure. you know, a cactus that, well, you just said that cactuses yep. can also be pretty serious, but it, they're, they're worse than just like a little, a little thorn in the, in the foot. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, it's, it, it depends on location, right? So they can migrate into the nail beds and, and where it is in irritation, um, and range all the way up to truly life and death. And, and we see dogs, mm -hmm. I would say at least yearly that pass away from migrating, foreign bodies and and you know the problem is um it, when it gets into the chest and so if it causes no. a pyothorax um oftentimes especially with these working breed dogs they're very stoic right and they they they'll give all they're all and one of the the generalized symptoms is just not feeling well so there's not always you know these dogs can have a, a chest full of fluid and not be coughing or exhibiting wow. you know crazy signs they can just be off um and and it seems that oftentimes working dog people because we are more in tune with our dogs we don't you know always run to the veterinarian at the first sign of just being off that sometimes it, it will cause people to you know observe and i had a client um oh, it's been a couple of years at our facility, we have kind of two buildings and he had come into the main side of the building. And by the time the staff came to get me and back, the dog was dead in that morning. Oh my God. He wasn't sure whether to even bring the dog in because he was just acting off. Um, you know, post-mortem, we took an x-ray of the chest and like you couldn't see any functional lung. It was, he was completely full of fluid. Wow. And so it's, it's one, you know, with, with, um, any of these working dogs that are in areas with migrating foreign bodies or foxtails, um, if they're just a little off, like I usually go on a witch hunt for these and, you know, making sure that we don't have them in the chest, in the abdomen. Um, they could be in the musculature too. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if the dog has a fever, any areas of swelling. Um, and, and so, you know, that's worst case scenario. It gets into the body cavity and can cause major problems. The other places that we'll see them, um, and, and it sounds like as you experienced, is like in the nose and in the eyes and things like that. And so, you know, you have a dog that's working out in the field and it can become, you know, you get dry conditions or this time of year that, that, um, where that transition into fall, where there's still like some pollens and debris and things, you have a dog that will naturally sometimes sneeze and have some irritation and it's differentiating that kind of irritation sneeze from, Hey, I got something stuck up my nose sort of sneeze. And so usually like with the foxtails, it will be an aggressive, you know, like you can just tell they're trying to work something out of their nose. Um, once you quit working, the, the sneeze doesn't go away. Um, if you see a little bit of discharge. And so, you know, as part of my, after I get done working a dog, I always recommend a tailgate exam. And mm -hmm. one of that, you know, one of the first areas I always look is in the nostrils because once in a while, you'll see that the, the tail end of one of these still yeah. not fully up in, um, it, you know, and you can try to grab it and get it out of there. The eyes is the other thing. And so I, I've had a number of dogs that, you know, that eye gets really red and irritated. And, you know, um, a lot of times you'll see in the third eyelid, there'll be seeds and just debris that dogs get. But yeah. like with the foxtails, I've seen where they'll kind of migrate or be back up not in that, that third eyelid, but, you know, kind of like they're trying to go behind the eyeball Yikes. Um, and, and I've had it missed that, you know, mm -hmm. emergency vets are on the weekends because it's just, it's not, this is one of those conditions that sometimes you have to like lead your veterinarian down the path that this might be a possibility mm -hmm. because vets that aren't dealing with working dogs in these conditions, like it's just, it's not on our radar. It's not something that we're yeah. taught in school to, to, to be, you know, aware of. And so, you know, really saying, Hey, I think that there might be something up the nose, in the eye, and advocating for your dog sometimes is important.
Yeah, definitely. So going back to when um, when they enter the chest cavity, and again, that seems like, you know, that can kill a dog, so that's probably our top priority. Is that entering through the skin, or is that migrating down from an orifice, or both? I think both. And so the yeah. two, you know, obviously inhalation is is one way that they can get in there, right? They go in through mm -hmm. the airways, migrate out through the lungs, and then cause problems. The other place, um, and again, there's no there's no studies, and so I, I hesitate yeah. to, to you know act like this is. But the one of the most common areas that we'll see external evidence of these is is on the dog's chest wall as you go back, kind of the high point of the ribs, not on the top, mm -hmm. but on the side where those ribs kind of flare out and then kind of come back in before it transitions into the abdomen. That uh -huh. high point is a common, common area. And if you think huh. about it, if you're looking at the dog, that's the widest point of the dog in probably in most contact with cover as it's going yeah. through. And so I do think that that's an area that they can penetrate. And that's right, um, you know, where the, the, the diaphragm hooks up. Mm. And so you have where the, it's the chest, the abdomen are all kind of in that same yeah. area under those ribs. Um, and so my theory is, is that some enter the body that way too, uh, right? Because that's, that's where we'll see oftentimes external evidence is, is right over that high point of the ribs on the side of the dog. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that kind of checks out. Um, yeah, and kind of, again, circling back to prevention, we've done a little bit of stuff with those outfox head nets. Um, mm -hmm. And so far, have been pretty happy with how the dogs work okay. with them on, but the dogs don't love them. Um, or one of the dogs is fine, and the other dog, you know, he'll wear it, tolerate it for a half hour, and look like he doesn't mind it at all, and then swipe it off when you're out looking. <laughs> um, uh, that's Barley for our listeners. Uh, very on brand for him. Um, so, you know, we're still working on that. It's, but it seems like, you know, it still only protects the head and you have to take it off right. to reward the dog. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a hassle. And what we ran into, um, when Scotty got, um, the fox to help his nose is we were working in sagebrush and it just didn't look like the highest risk area that we had been. So I had right. it in my bag and I didn't put it on him and he got it up the nose. And what we saw was, yeah, really, really intense, hard, hard, hard sneezing, immediately couldn't see the foxtail, you know, it was shining a light down his nose and it was already gone. Um, little bit of bloody discharge. Um, and yeah, there just wasn't really anything that we were able to figure out how to do in the field to get it out. Yeah. Um, if you can't see them, you're, you're, and, and it's what I tell people to like, if you can see any sort of foreign material, whether it's a foxtail, they jam a stick, you know, you almost have to treat it like a game of operation because that, that tissue is so sensitive yeah. As you're going in with the hemostat or whatever you're going to use, if you touch their nose, they're going to jerk their head. And yeah. I prefer hemostats because if you if you can get to that foreign material, you want to ratchet as soon as you get it. Yeah. Because even, even under full anesthesia, once you hit that foreign body, most dogs will react even completely under wow. anesthesia. And so most of the time they pull the foreign body out, you ratchet, but then they yeah. jerk their head. Um, uh -huh. And so if you're able to see it, it, you probably have, you know, one shot at grabbing it and just again, pr pretend like it's your, a kid playing operation and do not touch the edges of anything until you can snap it on the end of it. Because they, maybe they, I should they, get an operation game in practice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh. Yeah, the other thing that I've done some, and I'm not sure how much this works, but I keep doing it anyway, is we got Shoshin, which is like a horse mane and tail detangler. 
And I sprayed the dog down with that, um, particularly, again, the long-haired border collie. And it yep. seems like that helps him just kind of shed them. Okay. Um, and they don't stick on him at all. He also is very soft and shiny. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, does that, that seems to be working. Does that have sort of oily res- I, I, I've seen yeah. that recommended. And does it, does it have, like, do you have to bathe them then, like, Mm-mm. when you get home? Or is it? Okay. No, no. It just, it kind of. Yeah, it almost it feels a little funny when you touch them like the day out the day yeah. of, but it's not greasy or oily or like gonna okay. stain anything. They just kind of feel a little different. Yep. Um, but yeah, I like I like that one so far. Again, it's the sort of thing that like we're just doing and can't say for sure if that's the reason sure. he hasn't gotten one, but it doesn't seem to hurt. And if nothing else, it does make grooming afterwards easier. Yeah. So um, along those same lines, once in a while, <laughs> and I haven't. So I used to have dogs that would get eye issues because of the stuff in the eye and i would use a product called gentile severe um which is an over-the-counter uh artificial tear but the gel formulation sometimes if you use the ointments some of the ophthalmologists will think that that'll actually collect more debris and i felt like that that gentile severe gel provided like a little extra same sort of thing like it was just an added barrier that that they could shed things out of the eyes a little bit easier as well Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, our dogs do work pretty well in those, like, rec specs goggles. Um, And, I, you know, I do like those. They seem to tolerate them a little bit better than the head nets, and um, it works for a wide variety of things. I've got the cool sunglasses ones. Sure. (laughs) Um, Sure. But, yeah, so then as far as stuff that you would recommend kind of carrying in your bag or in your truck to get anything out, it sounds like hemostats, um, anything else that you would recommend kind of keeping around for in the field removal attempt. Yeah. So, um, I use a ton of saline flush and so just mm-hmm. the eye saline. So like the contact aisle used to be all saline with a few cleaners. Now it's all cleaners and you have to search for the saline. Yeah. Um, and so I, I go through several bottles. So that's, that's what I use for a wound flush as well. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's multi-purpose, but one of the places, like if I suspect a dog has something up the nose and I can't see it, um, whether even just in, in bad scenting conditions. So if it's a real dusty or they just seem like they're irritated, um, if you tip their head up and just gently drip that down the nose, so you don't want to squirt it because then uh-huh. again, it's sensitive tissue. They're going to seem like they're being waterboarded or drowned initially, but it, it, it basically, it's like a neti pot. And so you're yeah, cool. until you see them swallow. And so you're trying to flush any of that debris out through the sinuses back into their throat and have them swallow it. So those are the two big things. Like if I visually can see something, um, and I'd have a bright light too. So yeah. you know, both with the eyes and with the nose, the cell phone lights just don't cut it. I mean, there's so no. much we do with the cell phones and the lights, you know, and the cameras are great on cell phones, but like doing an exam that the lights just don't cut it. So having an actual like pen light or like a sure, uh, surefire light, something very bright. Uh, the other thing too, with the nose is that like almost immediately things turn. And so, you know, if you're going to have something up in that nose, it, you're very rarely going to see it. The one thing I'd say too, if you're working in remote areas that you end up at a vet clinic, uh, a lot of veterinarians feel that they need like fancy equipment scopes to see up the nose. Mm-hmm. And I would say 99.9% of these I can get out with an otoscope and an alligator forceps. And so if you end up in an emergency clinic out in the middle of nowhere and they say, oh, we don't have scopes, uh, suggest them using an otoscope. Um, we have scopes at the, the digital scopes at the clinic. And, and I'll be honest, I never use them. I use otoscopes because I'm able to visualize the, the, the foxtail or the bit of material 
and then use that alligator forceps to pull them out. So the dog yeah. does need to be sedated to do that. Yeah. That's not something you're going to do in the field. But um, I've had a number of people, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, South Dakota or Montana say, oh, we went to a clinic, but they didn't have a fancy scope. And, and it really is something you can address without fancy equipment. Yeah, they seem to get it out just fine with yeah whatever they had on. And it was funny, you know, I walked into the emergency clinic and I was like, yeah, I think we've got a foxtail. And they're like, get in line. You know, it was one right. of those seasons. Um, yes. So good. Got to spend a good five hours at the emergency vet because, of course, you're not at that point <laughs> the most pressing client. Right. So right. Uh, they had snacks. It was it was fine. <laughs> um, yeah, the weights at emergency clinics have really gotten out of yeah. hand in the last three years yeah well you know it's hard when you're the one coming in with something like this where you're like i know like my dog is not actively dying right. or bleeding out or anything right. so you know i just i brought books and i was like i'm gonna plan <laughs> to be here a while right. um so yeah um okay so i love the saline tip that was actually not one i'd heard before i when i was at working dogs for conservation had been told to carry a little um almost like a camping condiment tube sort of thing yeah. um with lube in it um, with kind of the same idea of getting lube up sure. their nose and then seeing if they could expel it. Um, but we were not successful at getting that up Scotty's nose um, in the field. You know, we had yeah. two carnivore biologists plus me trying to get it up there. And he was, he's got some handling concerns um, in veterinary settings. So right. we tried a couple times and then it was like, all right, let's, let's just sedate him. Like yeah. this isn't going to help anyone. Right. So, yeah, and I'm trying to think. I mean, it sounds like everything else, you know, the hemostats and the tweezers are things that people should have in their emergency kits yeah, for a variety so of things. As mm -hmm. far as, you know, beyond just the foxtails emergency kits, I currently am, I do have a, a six episode free course on my website, um, building your first aid kit. And so I'm, I'm a big advocate of people building their own. There's a lot of for purchase ones. Um, mm -hmm. then you have a bunch of stuff that you don't know how or why or when to use it. Uh, yeah. so I showed, um, I, I put together a course that's my recommendations for an in the field kit, um, both like at the truck and on your person out in the field. Um, and it's, it's a free course. So at, at yeah. my website at gundogdoc.com, you can sign up for that. And that, that yeah, we'll definitely link that. That sounds, I'm, I'm going to be taking it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So the eventual plan is to then do a whole series on field mm -hmm. emergency and first aid that that's, I'm hoping for a November launch with that, but oh, and we, wow. will, yeah. we will, dis we will discuss foreign bodies and foxtails in that as well. So yeah, please do let us know about that. We're, um, so between this foxtail and then my other dog got, um, a two tick-borne illnesses at once. Um, we've been doing a whole series on, you know, all of the different things that can go wrong from, you know, snake bites to, you know, sure. slightly less emergency things. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, it sounds like the biggest symptom you're going to have when you're getting closer to that emergency threshold is, you know, A, you know, if you saw something go in or kind of saw some amount of symptoms in the field or otherwise it's just potentially going to be kind of the dog being off lethargy. Yeah. You we'll mentioned chest temperature. Go ahead. Yep. But the, the other thing you can have is, is that like, if it doesn't get into the body cavity, you'll have a big swelling someplace on the body. And so okay. it will, it will look like an abscess. And I think that that's the path that, um, where most veterinarians maybe get tripped up in treatment of these is that they look like a simple abscess. They oftentimes don't have the big fluid pocket though. When we look at them, like with ultrasound and things like that, uh, they sometimes look like nasty tumors almost because they're uh, a lot of, of fibrous tissue. There's small pockets of fluids within them. It, it will 
you know, when they take their samples, they have all the indications of infection. And so the big thing is, you know, again, talking with your veterinarian that, hey, my dog's out in the field. I think it might be a migrating plant on. Because what happens is, is that when a veterinarian sees infection, usually we choose like that one antibiotic, right? So most yeah. veterinarians, they see a nasty infection, are going to throw a dog on Batril or Clavamox. And what's interesting with the bacteria that we see with migrating plants, um, it, it's so I personally like I like to cover my entire spectrum. So whether you know gram negatives, anaerobic, and then a broad spectrum antibiotic. And so sometimes a drug like Batril isn't going to get the actinomyces or the nocardia um, where something like a penicillin will. And so it, it's one yeah. that you know making sure uh, that the antibiotic selection is appropriate if we're not going to go into surgery. So yeah. Um, it's, it's one, and we should probably back up. So some of these can be the big seed heads or, you know, we've done surgery, we'll take four or five seed heads. Oh, wow. That the, the, the whole thing probably went up into a dog. Some of these, even with like the migrating in the chest, it, it truly is a needle in the haystack um, and, and you may not find them. And so sometimes we end up treating the dogs with a course of treatment prior to just jumping into surgery, uh, yeah. because surgery isn't always super rewarding. Uh, if we end up at surgery with these dogs, we treat them like cancer and it's not just taking out the area that's swollen. It's taking out until you see normal tissue. Uh, and, and so it's, wow. it's an aggressive major surgery and particularly like the dogs that maybe have it on the side of their chest or I was talking, yeah. we may end up taking two or three ribs out of some of those dogs. Oh my God. It's, it's a major issue when you get to surgery with these guys. And so the, the, the big thing is kind of having that game plan, right? So if, if the dog's not feeling well, having breathing issues and we find it, you know, that it's in the chest or the abdomen, that's one thing, but the other is going to be that dog that just has this pocket of infection. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it stays in an area and doesn't necessarily migrate, but it becomes, how do we treat that? And, and what's the steps? I, again, doing a combination of antibiotics to go after the organisms we most commonly see, because the other problem is, is that those organisms aren't the, the best to culture. And so they don't oftentimes mm. like you can send in that infective material, but they don't always readily grow. And so you, you might get a, a, an, I, some of the bacteria, but not all of them, not on your all culture of them. samples. Yeah. And so just kind of having that game plan. Um, I also, you know, it used to be that we'd, we'd advocate going into surgery right away with these dogs, um, years ago. So it's probably been almost 15 years ago. My own dog was the first major pyothorax case that I saw and she had in, 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 so to your point, knowing whether it happened in the field, we hunted in a field full of candid rye on Thanksgiving day and, um, she was covered in seeds. I tried to groom them off or all those sort of things. And it was, I forget if it was January or February where she actually blew up with the infection. So it was wow. months later that her body had probably kept it, drained the abscess, um, treated her. And then there was just a small, probably large grape size mass between her ribs that I thought was residual. Um, she's a dog that had had a really aggressive cancer earlier in her life. And so I mm -hmm. went in surgically to take it off and ended up between her ribs. And, and at the time I, my partner in practice, I said, I, I can't continue with the surgery. Like you got to continue because we were heading towards her chest and I ran anesthesia, poked through the chest. Um, we, we saved her. Uh, but it was, it was probably one of the worst surgical experiences that I've had because it was my own yeah, dog. Of course. Um, yeah. And, and since that point, now all of these, I have a board certified surgeon cut because it's you, like she was a dog that had we done it right, we probably would have taken two of her ribs. It was 
before we had a CT scanner, you know, in, wow. in town. Yeah. And so now, you know, now I do a CT of these and, and we get a good idea of where the pocket is and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it can present as a range, I guess, is the point that I'd say yeah. it's, it's from being that worst case where it's in the chest, the dog's going to potentially die to this annoying infection that we just can't get under control. And that's, um, you know, doing what I do, I'll see the dog that's had surgery three or four times by the local wow. veterinarian, because it's just a small area that it looks like you should just be able to remove Scoop it. it out. Yeah. yeah. And, and then we do the CT and the board certified surgeon does his thing. And it ends up being this really major invasive, um, surgery. And I'll, I'll never forget, uh, three years ago, we had a short hair, same thing that the referring vet who was a friend had done surgery three times on the side of the dog and it came back. So we sent it out. We did the CT and we ended up, not we, the surgeon ended up in the dog's abdomen back along its spine, taking out its iliopsoas muscle. Whoa. From, if you looked at the dog externally, would have thought the infection in the seed would have been on the outside of the dog. So it's, it's, I don't, I, I I, I take these very seriously, I guess is yeah. what I'd say, and I don't monkey around with them. And so, you know, if it seems like you're not getting anywhere or spinning your wheel with what seems like this simple infection, you definitely want to get into the hands of somebody that's dealt with them or that will yeah. deal with them aggressively. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like that next imaging step is CT. Yes. And then, yeah, trying to get in with a board certified yep. surgeon. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there That's are, like, good to know. You know yeah. First step, if, if, you know, mm -hmm. private practice, like regular veterinarians can do this procedure and, and totally. we did it for years, but it's, it's definitely, you want the aggressive person, not the, the, the person that's going to be a meticulous and, and do, you know, a clean, you know, minimalistic job. This is something that if you're going to go after these, you really, you really want to yeah. go after them. So what, what it kind of determines when you might just treat with antibiotics versus when it is kind of a surgical thing. Is that based on the location of the abscess, how it's responding? So a, a number of factors. So like here where I'm at, we have a, our surgeon only comes every two weeks. Right. And so there's some of these dogs that we can't just let them sit for two weeks. And so where I've went down the path of treatment is if he's not going to be here for a while, we'll start them on antibiotics. And if the dog responds really well, then, then I give the dog a chance to fail antibiotic mm -hmm. treatment. And we'll usually go for four to six weeks and then schedule coming off the antibiotics when he's going to be back in, in, in that way, you know, the dog's been off for about three or four days. If the infection's coming back, then we go to CT and surgery. What mm -hmm. I found is that probably 70 to 80% of the cases end up not going to surgery. And I think wow. what probably mm -hmm. happens in those is that the body, you know, fighting the, the infection in the foreign material probably dissolves the plant pieces, at least into yeah. to pieces enough that the body can clean it up. And so, mm -hmm. um, for some of it, it's a time. It, the other thing I'd say is, you know, if it's, if it's been dealt with a bunch by somebody else. So if this is the yeah. fourth go, we're going to proceed to surgery. And so there's a couple of different factors just based on logistics. Um, and then cost, right? Like, you know, a CT totally. and a surgery is going to be way more expensive than antibiotics. And so there are people that financially, you know, need to explore yeah. that less expensive option. And so, um, you know, with a, fairly decent success rate. I I'm okay now going the antibiotic route prior to jumping into surgery. And mm -hmm. we've had it with dogs with the pyothorax too, where people can't, you know, either again, we don't have the surgeon here in a timely manner, or they can't go on referral where we'll tap that dog's chest, you know, for multiple days while we're starting antibiotic treatment, usually in hospital, um, 
slow that fluid production down in the chest, get the antibiotics on board. And, and a lot of those dogs do okay too. So wow. I think yeah. it's, it's one that we, we again, feel like these are, you know, cases that have to immediately go to a big referral center and, and they don't, I think you can step back and, and treat them appropriately um, and, and try to manage them before you take that next step. If, if that next step isn't available for you, you know, if, if, if it's something that, you know, you can, or you have that sort of facility close by, I certainly would go that route, but not all of us live in a place that, you know, has all of the specialties in veterinary medicine, you know, right, right in our backyard. Yeah. I mean, especially I would imagine, you know, the same places you're hunting and the places we're out doing our surveys were, um, you know, like it it was nice. Not a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was nice that Scotty was courteous enough to put a foxtail up his nose, on one of our projects where we were only like an hour and a half from the nearest good emergency vet. Right. Um, and we could have gone down to Santa Barbara and had even more specialists if we wanted, you know, it would have been a half, half hour further. It was not a big deal versus, you know, we've done projects out in Guatemala where, you know, depending on what level of veterinarian you need, we were probably 10 to maybe even 18 hours away from them, right. you know, right. and it, it's good to know that stuff like foxtails, you can generally wait and, or, you know, get yeah. in to whoever is there and then to kind of ratchet up versus something, you know, like a snake bite where it's like, right. all right, we're, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes us. We're going directly to the top. Right. Not so, exactly. yeah. um, I guess on that note then, so you said with your, your dog's, um, experience, it was you know, what, like two ish, three ish months yeah. for it to really I'm, I'm get serious. Pretty certain, yeah, because it was. And, and I, in, 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 like you said, when we started with the grooming, I like after that hunt, I was like, oh my god, like it was. I groomed her for days. It felt like, like I yeah. think I get them all out. And so, again, do I know for one hundred percent certainty? No, but it, it's like. I'm very certain that it was that far apart. And that's, yeah. and we'll see dogs all the time that way where it's that type of presentation, right? Where, yeah. you know, they don't crop up until, you know, like our hunting season here typically ends in January. And so it'll be, you know, March sometimes. So it, it, it's, it can be immediate, but a lot of dogs, I think that the body kind of keeps it at bay for a certain period of time and then it just loses the battle and, and yeah. the infection takes off. So it's not an always like, we had it happen today and tomorrow we're sick. It's there's oftentimes an interval between these things blowing up. Yeah. That makes sense. If it seems like either it's physical migration into something that's really, really problematic or infection blowing up, both of those aren't super duper fast moving processes. Right. Versus the nose, right? Like that's instant irritation. Like they're like, Holy crap. Like this hurts. Get it out. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I pulled out. So I still have the foxtail cause I've been meaning to give it to his handler and it's like, it was a huge one, you know, like yeah. the poor guy. We'll put the picture of that up with the, with this episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I can't imagine having that up my nose. Um, no. and, it, we and then continuing things. to try to use my nose for my job. Yeah. I, and I think I've probably posted on my account that same setter. Um, I pulled about a, I don't know, three inch stick out of her nose Oh my gosh. She hunted for a month with it up there. And so it was again before the days of CTs and all these sort of things. And she had rammed, she was bleeding out her nose. I tried to look up with the scope, um, was going to take her to Iowa State where they had CT and scope. And they said, just put her on antibiotics for a month. Um, she was fine. We were out west hunting and I went to open her crate and she went into a sneezing fit and sneezed out a stick on the third day of a hunt that she had pointed 
all kinds of birds and like oh my God. it was up there for a month and she hunt it fine like it, it's just crazy God, dogs are tough it's wild yeah compared to us yes like it's yeah just, you know you get a my, pebble uh, in your shoe and you have to stop and you know seriously yeah my border collie barley who's behind me right now is um he got a foreign body that he swallowed um and ended up with a mass in his stomach and um it was it was really interesting how that had progressed you know i we're now just kind of on foreign body chat but he uh he had like a couple days where he couldn't eat, couldn't walk, like really, really serious pain. And that's when we went into the ER. And then I can't remember quite why, but they couldn't get him in for surgery for like a month. And they gave us some amount of treatment, but he, he had like a couple days of really acute pain and then was basically fine for a month. And then when they did finally go in to get it taken out, whatever, whatever it had been, had been dissolved. It was just, hmm. and it was just wild. Like he went from looking like he was going to die right, to then when we did finally take it out, I was like, so what was it? And they were like, don't know. Yeah, <laughs> just got wild. a bunch There's... of really weird tissue. Yeah. Huh. yeah. I might be misremembering some of the details there, but yeah, it was just really, really strange and kind of shocking how well he was able to recover kind of in between what I assume was like the day where it happened. Right. And then the body kind of being able to wall it off. Um, and right. it had pierced through like one of those U bends in the intestine. Really? Yeah, yeah. That usually is a, like you need to do surgery right away situation. <laughs> yeah. And maybe I'm misremembering that he did get surgery really fast, but then a couple, I, I, what I really remember is that a couple weeks after the really serious event, we ran a ski drawing race and I had asked that, you know, is this fine? And they're like, yeah, he's, he's good to go. And he podiumed at the race. And I was like, this dog, you know, again, couldn't walk um, right. or eat a couple weeks ago. That's why. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll double check my veterinary notes and <laughs> add that to the show notes for whatever the actual progression was. Right. But yeah, I don't think I have any more questions on foxtails. So um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to be sure to say about foxtails or other foreign bodies? Um, there, there, so there's a website called meanseeds.com. It was uh-huh. uh, originally put out by the Springer people uh, because uh-huh. the Springers are so associated with it. It's an older site, but it does have good pictures and case studies of, oh, of cool. migrating foreign bodies. So it, it, it has all the different plants that, that we can see um, that cause this. And so that would be something to add probably to the show notes as well. Um, it, they were active for a while in lobbying to at, at I think both the USDA level and then with some of these conservation organizations to try to get the seed mixes changed so that we weren't planting habitat. Um, the problem is is that you know the, those organizations are more worried about habitat and you know yeah. wildlife management conservation. They're not really dog organizations. Not that they hate dogs, but it's just if we want plants to grow quickly and these plants grow quick, quickly. But that's a pretty good resource for. Um, identification, plant identification, and then they have some different case studies there. Yeah, I'll definitely link that in the show notes along with your course. Um, and yeah, I mean, that it makes sense, you know, if they're really focused on ground cover and yeah, getting getting these places well taken care of, you know, I guess the dogs aren't aren't the top of mind. <laughs> but Unfortunately. yeah, and I, I actually I Googled that Canada rye seed because that wasn't a species I was familiar with. And that is the one that Niffler, my younger dog with the kind of rougher oh, coat, yeah. but shorter coat. Those are the ones I pull. It just, sometimes it feels like millions out of yes. him. Um, yeah. And that's what my setter when she had it, it was like I felt like you couldn't have covered her 
with more of them. Yeah. Well, and what I see with him as well is they tend to really, you know, it's really seems like the harness area, but also especially in those like collarbone and shoulder divots. Yeah. Like it seems like maybe they work in under the harness and then they get into these divots um, in his chest and he's a really bony little intact male. <laughs> so right. he just doesn't, he's got all sorts of nooks and crannies for stuff to hide in. It's awful. <laughs> So cool. Well, we'll link all of that in the show notes. And I really appreciate this. Um, you know, I, again, I feel like I see the same couple graphics about foxtails go around every year and was kind of aware that they were bad, but didn't really fully, fully grasp it. And, you know, there's that one really dramatic photo of the, um, the dye from the foxtail that had gone oh. up a paw pad and all the way sure. up the leg. Um, which I feel like maybe over exaggerates like where these highest risk areas are yeah. and what the biggest problems are with foxtails. Like I really just didn't have it in my head that they could kill a dog Yeah, because no, that absolutely. graphic is the most popular one. Right. Right. Yeah. We get to almost every fall. I'll have one of the associates ask me like, how do you even hunt your dogs? Because you know, they just spend all this time dealing with it. And it, it just feels like you're putting at these dogs at great risk when they're just seeing the dogs in the clinic, but it's, right. you know, it's, it's a, it's a big problem in the places we run these dogs. So. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. And especially from the veterinary side, if all they ever see is the dogs who do come in, they don't see all the dogs that hunted that week that didn't yeah, have a problem. No, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. And I, and, you know, I would imagine a lot of people don't groom their dogs necessarily thoroughly enough. If you're not aware, um, you know, it's really no. hard to do the level of grooming if you didn't know that this was a serious problem. Yeah. And I think even like I have trouble advocating getting people to do the tailgate exam to do, you know, I think it's just one of those things. It's people think it ends when they walk out of the field and put the dog in the crate, not like that should be the beginning of taking care of that dog, Yeah, you know, for all the work it just did for us. So it's, yeah. it's human nature. I think we think, Oh, we're done. Nah, yeah. Nah, I'm tired. Yeah. Sunburnt, windburnt, like portion. I'll do it after the shower. And then next thing you know, right. you're asleep on the couch. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, yeah. Dr. Spoot, thank you so much. Um, so again, people can find you at gundog doc on social media. Where else, um, where else do website. you want to be found? Yeah. Yep. The website and in, in, in probably while I, I have it on all the channels, I'm probably most active on Instagram. So. Okay. Great. Yeah. We'll link all of that in the show notes and we'll definitely link that free course and let us know um, when the, the full course comes out. And we'll definitely send that along to our listeners as well. So for everyone at home, again, I'm sorry, we're doing so many safety episodes back to back. I hope you still feel inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and skill set. Um, you can find the show notes we keep talking about. Sign up for our Patreon learning club, sign up for our online handler course, all that good stuff at canineconservationists.org. Until next time.